Ladies and gentlemen, Banal of America Audio, with your host, Tim Banal. Hello out there, my friends. This is Tim Banal of BanalofAmerica.com, with another edition of Banal of America Audio, Season 2. It is December 30th, 2006, and we are wrapping up the year and looking ahead to 2007 with James Carrion, the new International Director of MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, Major, major changing of the guard in the biggest UFO organization in the world. Of course, that's big news. So we set up an interview here with James Carrion. James and I are going to talk about his plans as the new leader of the organization. We're going to talk about how he ended up joining MUFON and rising through its ranks up to international director. Big new initiatives coming from MUFON in regards to public relations, also drawing in younger members and trying to decipher what the UFO phenomenon is. James is going to detail these new initiatives coming from MUFON, what the organization's end game plan is in event of UFO disclosure. He responds to the various criticisms and critics of MUFON. All the critiques you've heard of MUFON, we're going to throw them at James Carrion. He's going to respond to that. Plus, of course, tons and tons more. It's a pretty rare interview. We haven't heard much from James Carrion yet, despite his lofty new position. For those of you who are unfamiliar with James Carrion, let me give you a little bit of background on him. James began his lifelong interest in the UFO phenomenon at the age of 11, when he began his own UFO news clipping collection. As a young boy, James lived in Puerto Rico at a time when the island was a hotbed of UFO activity, and he later researched the Chupacabra and the Laguna Cartagena sightings. James served for four years as a U.S. Army Russian linguist in the Military Intelligence Corps, and became fascinated with the story of the Gulf Breeze 6, a group of young military intelligence soldiers that went AWOL from their base in Augsburg, Germany, to search for UFOs in Gulf Breeze. Upon moving to Colorado in 1996, James joined the Mutual UFO Network and worked as the state section director for both northeastern and northwestern Colorado. James proposed and implemented MUFON's Pandora Project, an electronic archiving of all MUFON's UFO case files, and served on the MUFON International Business Board for three years, before being elected as the MUFON International Director in 2006. James holds a Bachelor of Arts in Russian Language and a Master of Arts in International Affairs, both from Florida State University. He is also the CEO of a national computer training company and is widely recognized as a computer expert. James currently lives in Bellevue, Colorado with his wife Lisa and son Aiden. And you can find out more information on MUFON and James Carrion at www.mufon.com. Without any further ado, let's rock and roll. This interview was recorded on November 8, 2006. James Carrion on Banal of America Audio, Season 2. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Banal of America Audio. I want to welcome as my guest, James Carrion. He is the new international director of MUFON. He's taking over the job from John Schusler. I thought this was really big news, and I wanted to get James Carrion on the show to talk about this changing of the guard at MUFON and, and MUFON in general. So... James Carrion, welcome to the show, and congratulations on your new post. Thanks, Tim. Let's start out with just your bio, your background. Who's James Carrion? A lot of people probably haven't heard of you yet. Talk about your background, where you came from, and how you found an interest in the UFO phenomenon. Sure. Um, well, I'll start off with my interest in UFOs. I've had an interest uh, in the subject uh, pretty much all my life. It actually started when I was about 11 years old, uh, living in, uh, up in northern Illinois, um, my mom actually subscribed to all the major tabloid publications uh, like the National Enquirer and uh, the Star and so on. Uh, and I took an early interest in uh, news clipping all of the UFO and alien-related stories. I uh, don't know why, but they fascinated me, so I started off my little collection there. Yeah. Uh, when I was uh, about 11 and a half, we moved to Puerto Rico, uh, where I lived for seven years and, until I graduated from high school. And uh, I don't know if a lot of the viewers know this, but uh, Puerto Rico is one of the hotbeds of UFO, UFO activity. Yeah. And it has been for a number of years. Uh, so I became very interested in, in the subject also while living down there. There was a local group of UFO investigators in the town where I lived. And one of the things they did was not only uh, actively investigate sightings, but they would also uh, take little excursions into the uh, tropical rainforest, uh, one of the national parks there, and they were actually trying to make uh, contact with aliens. Um, my dad did not let me accompany them because uh, he's a very religious person. He he thought that uh, UFOs were something uh, of a spiritual and demonic nature. Mm -hmm. 
Um, according to the group members, they did have contact, uh, personal contact with uh, alien beings there. Well, I personally did not have that experience. Uh, when I uh, left Puerto Rico, was to join the military. I was uh, uh, joined the army as a as a security intelligence analyst. Uh, I uh, went to Russian language school there, and, and the military became a, a Russian linguist and uh, Spanish linguist. Uh, did some work for the National Security Agency. Uh, had a top secret clearance. Did that for about four years active and two years reserve. Uh, then left the military and went to school at Florida State University. Uh, at Florida State is where I really learned first learned about MUFON as an organization and was in relation to uh, an interesting uh, UFO-related event where there was a group of six U.S. soldiers that went AWOL from their post in Germany uh, to Gulf Breeze where there was a, a flap of UFO activity going on. And they were, I don't know why, were looking for UFO-related events, and they actually attended, well, one of them actually attended the MUFON symposium that was going on in Pensacola. Wow. So that's when I first heard about it. And so when I moved to Colorado soon after that, I decided I was going to actually seek out the organization and join it. And that's what I did. This was back in 1996. Uh, I went with some um, MUFON members down to the 50th anniversary of Roswell. I became a field investigator for MUFON uh, and then a state section director. And uh, when the MUFON headquarters moved to Colorado and John Schusler took over, I did volunteer work there for John. Um, and at that time is when I really took a good look at what MUFON had accumulated over the last 38 years in terms of their investigative files. And I thought, we really need to get this, uh, these files in electronic form for researchers to be able to access. So I proposed to the uh, MUFON board what's called the Pandora Project, which was to take all of our paper files and get them electronically scanned. Uh, they accepted the proposal. They put me in charge of it. And uh, three years after I proposed it, uh, we finalized uh, the scanning of all those files, some 13,500 cases. Wow. Uh, they also invited me to join the MUFON board. This was uh, back in 2003. I actively served on the board for three years. And then when John announced that he wanted to retire, he solicited board members to uh, put in their proposal for taking over the organization. I did, and I was voted as the international director. Wow, awesome. That's Wow, that's quite a bio sketch there. That was great. Thanks. Um, Let's talk a little bit about MUFON, the organization, first, and then we'll get into uh, your your new job as the international director. Talk a little bit about what MUFON is, the history of MUFON, that kind of thing. So for those who are left out in the cold, uh, they, we can bring them in. Sure, no problem. Uh, the, the organization actually was founded by John Schusler and Walt Andrus uh, back in 1969. Uh, this was right after Project Blue Book was terminated. Uh, for those folks who are listening who don't know the history of Blue Book, uh, it was the Air Force investigation that went on for 20 years into uh, what UFOs were. Mm -hmm. And the way that, that Blue Book actually uh, was terminated was, was because uh, the University of Colorado did a scientific study, or what they called a scientific study, of UFOs, and they uh, concluded that there was nothing to the phenomena. Uh, even though if you read their report, the entire, it's the, it's the uh, complete opposite. Uh, there were a number of reports that they simply could not identify or, or sightings that they could not identify. Some very significant radar visual cases, uh, UFO photographs and so on. Yeah. But the Air Force uh, sort of took the conclusions from that study and, and decided to wash their hands of the whole subject and uh, terminated Blue Book in 1968. Uh, civilian organizations, in the meantime, were springing up, and uh, Walt Andrus was actually a member of APRO, mm -hmm. the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization. He had sort of a falling out with the founders of APRO, uh, Jim and Coral Lorenzen. He decided to go off and form MUFON, and that's where uh, actually the first MUFON meeting took place in John Schufer's backyard in 1969. Huh. So they uh, actually attracted quite a few of the other organizations that were active at the time, their members, uh, to also join MUFON, uh, NICAP members, and APRO. Yeah. Uh, and they they basically uh, set it up as a grassroots organization where each state would have its own chapter, uh, foreign countries could have their own chapters, and the leadership would be decentralized, uh, which I think a lot of folks really liked. Uh, and it sort of sprang up from there. Uh, it started off as an investigative organization. Uh, to investigate, actively investigate sightings, and that's hence why we have all these investigated case files. 
But uh, back, again, about three years ago when I was on the board, we decided to uh, change our mission statement and change our goals. And we've added two additional goals, which are to research UFOs and also to educate the public on UFOs. Uh, we've been a great investigative organization. Uh, now it's time for us to take the information we've gleaned over the last 38 years and actually try to make some sense out of it and also just educate the public in general that this is a serious subject. It's not a laughing matter, even though a lot of folks uh, will chuckle when they hear that you're a UFO investigator. Of course, they'll also take you to the side and say, well, hey, I had this sighting or I have a friend who had a sighting. Uh, a lot of folks don't know that back during the 1940s when when folks were st first starting to um, see these uh, these craft nationwide, uh, everybody took it very seriously. The, the U.S. government took it extremely seriously. They didn't know whether it was craft from outer space or from a foreign country. Uh, so it, it was a serious matter back then, and we want to make sure it's a serious matter now. It's not a laughing matter. Yeah, yeah. Does MoveOn have an official stance on just what UFOs are? Because um, I was a little confused because I saw Walt Andrews at the X Conference 2005, and a fantastic presentation. I can't put that one over enough. Um, and he said that MoveOn does not make any claim about the origins and the makeup of UFOs. Uh, and then at, at MoveOn.com, there's sort of like a uh, what we know based on our research type uh, page, and it says that UFOs are real, the universe is teeming with life, and that uh UFOs deserve scientific study. Obviously, I, I agree with all that. Um, but so does MoveOn have an overall umbrella sort of stance on what UFOs are, or are they sort of just like, let's just uh, look at what UFOs are? Well, I, I think that's, that's a real good question, Tim. And actually, uh, one of the questions I posed to the board when I first joined, uh, which was, what do we really, what is our stance on what UFOs are and what do we really believe? I got a very a varied responses from the board members, uh, and it, I think it's just because this phenomena is so complex, so varied. There's such a wide spectrum of activity. It's really hard for anybody, and it doesn't matter whether you're uh, a top ufologist uh, and you've been in the field for 30 plus years. The bottom line is, uh, you can't really just make a blanket statement on what a UFO is. Yeah. We have UFOs that. Uh, look to be physical craft, uh, whether they're of earthly origin or of extraterrestrial origin, we don't know. We don't even know if they're interdimensional, if, if there is such a thing. We also have this whole uh, spectrum of activity related to cattle mutilations and crop circles and the alien abduction phenomena. A lot of the stuff borders not only on the physical but also on the paranormal. Uh, so it's really it's really difficult to say come up with a blanket statement and say this is what we believe. Mm -hmm. Now I do though, as an international director, I do want MUFON to make uh, a series of statements in terms of what are the probabilities of these different hypotheses that have been proposed. Uh, in fact, uh, one of the things we're going to be doing that we've never done before is in March of 2007, we are going to have a uh, workshop where we're going to invite some of the top ufologists. And we're going to explore each of the major hypotheses in turn on an annual basis. So this year, actually say 2007, our first workshop will be on the extraterrestrial hypothesis, which was the original uh, um, theory that was proposed on, what, on the origin of the craft. We're then going to take what we gleaned from that workshop and, and make a probability statement at our symposium in August. We're going to do that in turn each year uh, for the major hypotheses that have been proposed, and that way we can cover all aspects of the phenomena without having to make a just general blank statement that that uh, wouldn't do service to uh, what the phenomena really encompasses. Wow, that's exciting. That's really exciting. Now, is this workshop open to the public type situation, or is this going to be a closed-door retreat type thing? Right. It's going to be a retreat uh, three to four days. It's going to be by invitation only, uh, so it's not open to the public. But, of course, our symposium is open to the public yeah. where the findings will be announced. Oh, okay, so then then, the, all right, then you guys are going to sit on that, and then the findings will come out in, in the summer when, when That's the correct. symposium. Okay. Now, over the years, I'm sure there's been sort of ebbs and flows for the membership of MUFON, especially when you look at the uh, mainstream popularity of UFOs. Where would you say right now how the membership is looking? sum up sort of like the numbers situation as far as membership goes? Sure. Uh, well, MUFON is actually in very good standing right now, uh, both financially and from a membership perspective. We are gaining new members uh, at a faster rate than we've seen uh, for a number of years. Uh, but let me talk a little bit about, about that in terms of, in terms of membership. 
we find that uh, the interest in UFOs among the general population is just incredibly high. I mean, you, all you have to do is turn on the uh, TV and tune into any of the major cable channels, and you'll see that there's just UFO-themed show after UFO show. And uh, so we know that the fo folks out there in the general public are very keen on, on reading about it and understanding it. Now, of course, a lot of those folks may be looking for uh, some sort of instant gratification in terms of, well, I just want to read about what the latest sightings were and maybe a, you know, a couple of tidbits of information about the phenomena. And so they'll find what they need pretty much uh, readily on the Internet. They don't really need to go out and seek a, a UFO organization like it was in the old days where because there was this uh, sort of vacuum of information, yes. uh, we were the folks that folks would turn to. Um, so we, we don't expect the general population to just turn around and, and join MUFON in mass. Uh, who we expect to join MUFON are the folks that that are not just uh, curiosity seekers and they're not just um, satisfied with with just uh, instant information. They they really want to do something about it. Uh, they've either had an experience themselves or they know folks who've had experiences. They want to really get to the bottom of the matter, so they want to be the investigators and be the ones who uh, take an active role in this. Those are the folks that typically join the organization. We know that we haven't uh, yet tapped into that entire mar uh, completely into that entire market. We know there are a lot of folks out there that would join us if they just knew more about the organization or even that we existed. So we have, a, if we have anything right now, it's more of a public relations issue, and, and we're hoping to address that within the next uh, uh, year to two years. All right, and um, now you may not know this off offhand, but uh, would you what would you say the average age of a MUFON member is? Because uh, one of the big parts of our show here is that we we try to appeal to young people, and we want we want to get more young people involved in the esoteric in general. Um, so what I'm interested in is the average age of a MUFON member, and are you seeing any sort of uh, any motion anywhere as far as young people joining up with MUFON? We are. Uh, I would say that the average age, and, and I'm just guessing here, is, is probably anywhere between 40 and 50 years old. Mm -hmm. uh, so we do have um, a number of folks uh, in the organization that that are more middle-aged, and but we do have as one of our goals to actively seek out younger members. Uh, we have a number of initiatives underway to, to actually do that. Uh, one of the things, actually, real interesting things that just came up recently is uh, a major university, actually a very prestigious university, and I, I won't say who it is just yet, yeah. we haven't formalized our relationship. They're interested in forming up a MUFON chapter, uh, sort of as a, as a student club. Wow. Um, and I think that's an excellent idea. We're going to support them as much as possible to make that happen and then try to replicate that throughout the uh, colleges and universities nationwide. We know that folks, there are young people out there that would like to take an active role if they just had some way of doing it, and so we want to provide a vehicle for that. Yeah, yeah, that, that would be that would be great. Um, and now sort of uh, to close out the general MUFON type questions, can you talk a little bit about the international aspect of MUFON? I know you guys have a lot of branches um, in various countries. Um, talk a little bit about that. Sure. Well, we, we have uh, what we call national directors as well as foreign representatives. Uh, the national directors are folks that are uh, actually interested in forming up a chapter of MUFON in their country. Uh, so we have folks, uh, for example, in uh, Spain and, and a number of other uh, foreign countries. But we also have what we call foreign representatives. There are um, UFO investigative organizations similar to MUFON in Mexico, uh, in Italy, for example, in yeah. Russia. And rather than try to take what they already have as established membership and try to convert them over to MUFON members, we, we decided let's just uh, go ahead and set up a liaison, a relationship with them, yeah. uh, since they have the same goals that we do. Nice, nice. Okay, now let's uh, let's move on to to you really in this and this new international directorship position. Um, what what are the general duties of the international MUFON director for stars? Sure. Well, general duties are uh, basically to represent MUFON uh, in various uh, aspects publicly. Um, you know, I'm basically I'm the face of MUFON, so if it requires a major interview on TV or radio, uh, you know, I'm the person they, sh they should be contacting. But in terms of just day-to-day -day duties, uh, we, we have a membership uh, we have to take care of in terms of uh, making sure we process uh, all the membership paperwork. Uh, we have a monthly journal that goes out to all our members. We have to put that on a monthly basis. 
there's just an incredible number of emails that I answer on a daily basis from folks that are interested in the in the uh, in the field, both for members and non-members. Uh, and then there's just the active uh, investigations that we have going on. Uh, and you know, sometimes it takes up an enormous amount of my time just to uh, try to try to. Um, uh, actively be involved in the investigative side of things. I'm not sure if, if your listeners knew that uh, there was a company that claimed to have found uh, a U.S. Air Force jet that crashed into Lake Superior in 1959, and then supposedly they also found a, an object nearby. It's one of the major classic UFO cases. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we actively investigated those claims, and we, we think that they're bogus. Uh, but that took an enormous amount of my own personal time to track down leads to talk to uh, different folks uh, in the U.S. government and Canadian government and so on. So, you know, it's not just uh, putting a public face on the position. It's also making sure that we keep our, our investigative apparatus uh, completely functional. Yeah. And how long do you uh, do you have the job for? Is this like a year-to-year thing and then it gets renewed or, or is it? It's a, three, it's a three-year position. Okay. Um, now, I, I, I can tell you that. We've, there's only been two other directors, actually three other directors before me. Uh, the first director stayed on just for a year. That's when the when the organization was first founded. Walt Andrus took it on for 20 years. Yeah. Uh, and then John Schuessler had the helm for six years. And uh, so who knows where it's going to go from here? But my term is for three years. Nice, nice. Now you said you uh, you joined the board of directors, and then uh, when John stepped down, he solicited people from the board of directors to take over the helm. Um, what's this story with the board of directors? Are they sort of like the, the Congress to uh, to the move on or something like that? Well, they're actually our business board. Uh, any any major nonprofit organization uh, should have uh, a board that operates in terms of of uh, making sure that the organization is viable from a business perspective. So the folks that are currently on the board are not only ufologists, but they also have business backgrounds and financial backgrounds. Uh, so they're making sure that that MUFON as a nonprofit is financially viable. Okay. Now you're about to take over this this big position, and uh, you're already talking about things that sound interesting, like the uh, the workshop thing and um, and this college MUFON idea. Is there any particular direction you'd like to take MUFON during your tenure? Sure. Um, Oh, absolutely. I mean, one thing I'd like to take move on to is a resolution of this mystery. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I mean, it's been around with us for a number of years. Uh, I'd, I'd like to solve it within my lifetime. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what I'm really pushing. I mean, you know, there's uh, there are a lot of books that have been written about UFOs. There's a lot of folks out there that that um, that you can go to workshops and view their talks and so on. Yeah. I tend to believe that where the truth is at and where we're going to find resolution is in the raw data itself. Uh, so that's why I pushed the Pandora project, which was to uh, get our data in an electronic format that we can easily search. And then our next step from here is we're actually going to be forming research teams to take a hard look at that data and start answering some of these major questions. Um, so that's really my push and what, what, what I'd like for my tenure to be, which is to let's, let's actually uh, – Take what we've we've gleaned all these number of years, and let's let's go ahead and analyze and present our findings, and come to some conclusions about what the phenomena is about. And um, you sort of alluded to uh, that there is a PR sort of issue with MUFON, and that you want to get the word out more, and that there were some ideas brewing about that. Can you talk a little bit more about that, and what we might be seeing as far as uh, a higher a higher public image for MUFON? Sure. Well, we have actually we have a real good source in the um, in Hollywood who's been helping us out in terms of uh, plugging MUFON in, in various UFO documentaries, um, and we're hoping to um, continue that. There was actually talk of of uh, of a UFO themed reality TV show where MUFON would be highlighted, uh, kind of like what uh, the science uh, Sci-Fi Channel does with the uh, Ghost Hunters. Um, that's that's part of it. I mean, obviously, we, we get a number of members once people start finding out about a MUFON on these various uh, TV shows. Yeah. The other side of it, though, which is what I'm very interested in, is just making sure that uh, MUFON's a household name in terms of UFO investigations. And one way we're, we plan on doing that, one of our initiatives that you'll be seeing, actually, this coming year is what we call our first responder education program. We're going to put together packets of information 
for folks that are in first responder positions like police officers and firefighters and uh, emergency management officials, uh, a packet of information that says, okay, folks, uh, if, if somebody witnesses a UFO and they don't know about any UFO organizations, they're going to be contacting you, and we want you to contact us. We want you to know that we're here, that we're a resource, that we take this seriously, that it's not a laughing matter. And to show you that it's not a laughing matter, uh, we would like you for you to look at the history of first responders and UFO um, sightings. Uh, we have an enormous amount of information in our database that, sh that where the witnesses, the primary witnesses to UFO uh, events were uh, public safety officials and police officers and so on. We want them to look at it and say, okay, if, if folks, my peers and my field are seeing this, this can't just be nonsense. There has to be something to it. That sounds exciting. That sounds that sounds like it would help out a lot, too. Now, you said uh, you're going to be like the public face of MUFON, and uh, I was remembering that John Schuessler, I believe, was on Larry King a couple of years ago. Do you expect to be making uh, national media-type appearances? You're going to be the one I'll expect to see you then as in the Schuessler role on Larry King? Sure. That's, that's definitely a possibility, although we also are going to be um, – Setting up, we actually have one, but we're going to actually be getting it uh, completely manned now, what's called our Speakers Bureau. We have a number of folks in the organization that are very outspoken, very well-spoken, uh, who um, have a lot of experience in the field and, and actually a lot of experience with doing interviews and doing talks and so on. Yeah. Stanton Friedman, for example. Mm -hmm. um, so we want to actively uh, employ these folks to uh, start doing more interviews uh, on a nationwide basis, and, and, and we want to get them out there and, and start talking to people on, on MUFON's behalf. Nice, nice. And uh, are, you all, are you ready to handle uh, the crazy skeptics uh, that they'll probably throw at you when you show up on these shows? Uh, sure. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate when, you know, in, in what they call unbiased reporting, they have to put the opposing viewpoint, but then they don't put the person in there that act, that has done any sort of investigation themselves. Yeah. So they're the, the debunkers that go on there. They have uh, they have what sound like good arguments, counter-arguments, but they have no data to base it on. Uh, so it's very frustrating for us, uh, but we do have some, uh, some speaking points to that. Nice, nice. Um, and I'm, I'm very surprised that you were behind this project Pandora because I have this in the notes here. Uh, I remember that Walt had talked about it at the X conference and I was going to ask the progress of it. So it sounds like project Pandora is all wrapped up, huh? Right. We have, uh, we have 90, I would say 90% of our files are now in electronic format. We do have some special collections that we still need to scan uh, as funds become available. But the, uh, the, the vast bulk of our investigative case files are ready for research. Awesome. Now, one of the things that I have talked about a lot with some of the guests on the show, and this is, this is probably like a perfect uh, subject maybe for you, is the infamous missing APRO documents. Uh, do you expect any motion in, in any chance of acquiring the APRO documents? I know they're, they're, uh, someone's got them and, and they don't want to give them up. Yes, that's, uh, it's, that's a pretty sad situation, actually. I, uh, in fact, uh, I uh, spoke uh, with a couple of our coalition members. We have, there's something out there called the UFO Research Coalition, mm -hmm. which involves MUFON, uh, the Center for UFO Studies up in Chicago, and then the Fund for UFO Research. Uh, three, us three organizations uh, actively uh, collaborate. Um, the Center for UFO Studies actually inherited all the old NICAP files. Yeah. So those are in a good place, uh, very well protected, and we're actually hoping to add those to our Pandora project to expand our the number of cases we can research. The APRO files, though, are, uh, we should say, probably lost at this time. We don't know where they're physically at. We don't know really who who has them. Um, it was very unfortunate that 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 happened. But we also found out recently that there has been some microfilm copies of some of the APRO files. And I spoke with a couple of folks who physically have those, and we're going to uh, get those scanned and added to our Pandora database. So even though the the all the APRO files are not available, there are select ones we still have access to. Okay, nice. And as far as the uh, this database goes, where is this? Is this something like that anybody could go and look through, or is it housed in a certain place? Or you know, can you talk about the actual database because it sounds like a wealth of information to look at. 
Right. Well, what we did is we broke down uh, our files into basically two parts. One are files that we will release to the public, uh, and the other ones are files that we will keep for internal use only because the witnesses themselves have wished to remain anonymous. Mm -hmm. Now, if we can go through the electronic version and uh, actually black out the witness names and privacy information like that, those files will also be made available. Um, so in terms of who can access them right now, they're, uh, right now they're internal use only, but we're going to make them available to our general membership through our website, um, at least the public ones. And then for the general public to get access, we're going to have to go through some sanitation because we have to deal with uh, privacy laws and that type of thing. Yeah, okay. How do you respond to uh, some of the people in ufology that want MUFON to be more politically proactive in sort of like a NICAP way? Well, that, that actually is probably not going to happen just because we are a 5013C nonprofit. Um, and nonprofits really can't take an active political stance uh, for the most part uh, and keep their nonprofit status. Um, so that we have to be very sensitive to that. Okay, so it's just uh, it's more of a matter of just because of the way this the move on is structured than uh, than like a purposeful uh, decision on their part. Sure, and and I think also the, the other reason would be that it's it's not really one of our goals. Uh, obviously, we'd like to educate the public, and the public would include public officials and so on. Um, but to be to fund political action committees or uh, that type of thing, I think that's probably what the disclosure project is more yeah. set up for. Uh, yeah, MUFON really is, we, we like to stick to our major goals. And so you don't expect any sort of, uh, like, uh, working agreement or anything with the with the disclosure project type group? Um, I think, well, I guess it would depend on what working agreement is. I mean, we, we would support anything that has to do with educating uh, the public, including our government officials. So uh, what, whatever we can do to, to facilitate the educational part of that, we would be happy to, to cooperate with. Now, this one sort of just sprung into my head, so I'm going to throw it out there. What Has anyone in MUFON ever talked about what you guys are going to do if the UFO secret is uh, revealed? Are you like, oh, we're all, we're all going, to, we're going to shut down, that's it, we're, it's over, we got, we won, that sort of thing? Or, or do we have any post-disclosure MUFON-type plans? Well, we're all going to go fishing. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, we have sp uh, talked about that. In fact, the uh, the UFO Research Coalition uh, in, our, in our teleconference uh, about a month ago, we discussed... Uh, um, you know, what, what is our day after plan? And so we, we're working on that right now. It's not only, you know, disclosure from the government's perspective. It could also be what happens if, uh, for example, SETI announced, yeah. announces that they have a signal. Uh, or there's a number of different scenarios we could be facing. So we, we do need to have speaking points and a, and a public uh, reaction plan for that. We are working on that. Nice, nice. And does MoveOn have any uh, sort of... Um it sounds like you have a lot of uh, great case files and that sort of thing. Do you have any sort of, um, I'm trying to come up with the right word here, like a documentation of the actual history of ufology, sort of like a recognition of uh, certain people within the field or like uh, anyone who sort of is documenting this as a historical thing? Uh, we have a wealth of historical information. I, I inherited all the files, um, and as I was going through them, I just was astounded at how much information we have. So there's a lot of information that's not only about the history of ufology. We have an extensive photo collection. Uh, in fact, we just scanned them electronically. I think we had somewhere uh, over a thousand photos of ufologists from the early days all the way until now of UFO events. Um, we have a wealth of government documents. Uh, there's just tons of information. In fact, one of my goals is to is to beef up our web page and, and, and to put a, a pretty large section on there that details the history of ufology as well as the history of MUFON. Nice. That would be awesome. Yeah, that would be great. Um, now, this is the other sort of tough one. Within the UFO field, there's always uh, that sort of paranoia that exists in general. Um, what? How do you respond to the... Endless, all, there'll always be these suspicions of government infiltration within UFO organizations, and, and since MUFON's really one of the last few that are left, um, MUFON obviously will have to bear the brunt of, of those suspicions. But, you know, people talk about NICAP and what happened with them. How do you respond to, to just that general suspicion that's out there all the time? Sure. Well, I mean, like you said, there's always going to be conspiracy theory. There's always going to be some level of paranoia about, you know, what the government's doing or not doing. Uh, 
I think, you know, like the saying in the Bible, you, you, should, you should know them by their fruit. Um, we're hoping that folks see that what MUFON is actively doing um, now uh, shows that, um, you know, we are, we are being true to our goals and, and true to our mission. Um, it's one of the reasons why I started the Pandora Project, because when I first joined MUFON, one of my first questions was, well, what happens with all this investigative data that's submitted to headquarters? Where does it go? Is it, does it get, is it acted on? Is it looked at? And when I figured out that it was just a big black hole that it was being contributed to, I thought, no, I'm going to have to reverse that. Yeah. So that's where Pandora came from. So I think as folks start to see that, you know, uh, MUFON as an organization is, is uh, becoming more open uh, and also, um, you know, becoming more embracive of other, of other uh, organizations and cooperating with other organizations and so on. There's always going to be some level of paranoia, like you said, and some level of accusation, but I don't, I don't really worry about that. I think most folks will see through that and see that we are true to our mission. Yeah, yeah. So just judge, move on by what they do, not what you exactly. hear pretty much. Exactly. Yeah. So to take me through in like a state what the uh, setup of MUFON is like. There's the there's the state director and then there's these investigative teams and then they go and what do people just report their UFO sightings to uh, MUFON and then they go check it out. So to talk about a little bit about how the structure is in in these smaller uh, fiefdoms, if you will. Sure. Well, each state has a state director and an assistant state director, and they're the folks that sort of manage the members in their state, and they're the ones that uh, organize the uh, monthly meetings, if there are monthly meetings or quarterly meetings or whatever. Yeah. Um, but then we also have state section directors, so the, each state is then divvied up by counties, uh, and then there's a, a section director. And the section director is, is, is uh, a field investigator who's responsible for field investigation in his area, his or her area. So that's the way the hierarchy is set up. Uh, but then we also have the, the, our, our MUFON members and a number of our MUFON members are our field investigators themselves. Uh, the way that investigations take place is if, if they're centrally reported to our website, our website automatically sends them to the appropriate, uh, field investigator based on proximity. Uh, we also, uh, uh, copy the state director and the section director so we make sure that they are actively managing and monitoring those. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have a we have a real proactive um, uh, monitoring capability through our uh, what we call our case management system. So even though it's decentralized, there is uh, the centralized reporting and the centralized management of the investigations. Now, as far as the reporting of cases, is there any uh, working uh, relationship with the National UFO Reporting Center? Because obviously they're getting a ton of uh, UFO reports too. Sure. Well, we don't have that formal relationship just yet. We have been working with Peter Davenport for a number of years uh, to try to make that happen. Uh, we're not sure where he stands right now on that. We're hoping that um, when somebody reports to the National UFO Reporting Center, that not only he collects the data, but he would pass it on to us so we could actively investigate it. I think it's one of the, the, the problems we're dealing with uh, is that there are a number of sites that have sprung over sprung uh, out over the internet where folks have uh, reported UFO link or form. People fill it out thinking that well somebody's going to actively take a look at that and then it goes nowhere. Yeah. So it's being collected, but again these are mini, mini black holes is what I call them. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no active investigation. We'd like to form liaisons and relationship with all these folks so they pass on their sightings to us so we can get our investigator core to work. When someone goes out and does the investigation, what's the uh, what exactly do they do as far as investigating? Because like if you called me and you were like, you know, Tim, we got a UFO sighting in your town, can you go investigate? I wouldn't even know where to begin. So what, you know, what kind of stuff goes along with the actual investigation? Sure. Well, to be a, become a field investigator, you have to be trained and you have to take an exam. So we have a set um, procedures in, in our field investigator manual. That basically says A through Z. A through Z. This is how an investigation takes place. Uh, there are forms that have to be filled out. There's uh, witness information that has to be um, obtained. There's uh, a witness interview that has to be done. There's a lot of background type uh, work that has to be done in terms of uh, checking the local weather and checking uh, astronomical data, checking with the local airport and air force bases and so on yeah. to to try to figure out. You know, basically, what we're trying to do is we want to rule out. Uh, any natural occurring phenomena or man-made phenomena. And what we end up with is we ask our investigators is once, once they've done a thorough, uh, a thorough investigation is to classify the, um, 
the UFO is either an IFO, an identified object, or um, a hoax, if it's possible hoax, or an unidentified object. Those are our, the three categories we typically deal with. Um, so they have a set, set of procedures that they go through to do that. Okay. Um, now this one actually, this one kind of popped up too, and this, this is sort of, uh, I would classify this as a kind of a tough one too, but uh, hopefully you'll, you'll understand where I'm coming from. Now one of the big complaints, I guess, within ufology, and this doesn't really have much to do with MUFON, but I'm wondering how much it does, is that since like anybody can sort of follow ufology and, and work their way up and become a part of ufology, that there tends to be, and I'm going to try and say this the nicest way, um, crazy people. I, I, I don't suspect that MUFON has as many problems as, you know, like some of these forums and other smaller type UFO groups go. But is there sort of any, like, policing of MUFON where if someone's, you know, doing something outrageous that, you know, MUFON can kind of, like, censor them or censure them, you know what I mean? Sure. Um, well, I can tell you that, uh, let me just give you a little history here. Back in the, in the early days of MUFON, you, we didn't actually accept, uh, members, uh, applications from the general public. You had to know somebody in the organization and be recommended by them to actually join MUFON. Oh, wow. Now that has obviously changed now. Uh, we, we do have open membership, open enrollment. So we do have folks from all backgrounds and all beliefs that join the organization. Um, we don't expect everybody to, uh, have to follow the same, uh, beat of the drum, but we we do uh, want to make sure that uh, if somebody puts on the public face of MUFON and represents MUFON, that they are abiding by all the the rules and regulations that that we have put down. Uh, for example, in our investigative process. Yeah. So if uh, if you're a field investigator, you've been trained, you've taken an exam, you know what MUFON expects of you, and uh, we hope that you follow that as much as possible. Of course, if there's if if there's a red flag that's raised by the public in terms of how investigation was conducted, there's litigation issues that arise, the type of things that we worry about. Uh, so we do, uh, you know, try to take a more proactive role to make sure that that doesn't happen. Um, so we don't really think that of ourselves as having to censor people or censor however yeah. you want to call it. It's it's more just making sure we. We let the folks know what's expected of them and, and give them the proper guidance and the proper guidelines. Yeah. I kind of butchered that question, but I think you understood what I meant. Sure, sure. Um, let's talk a little bit about the MUFON Journal, because that's uh, one of the best UFO publications out there. What's your role with the MUFON Journal? Are you going to be taking over editing, or is, how is that run by somebody else, or, or what's that all about? Well, the current editor is Dwight Connolly, and, and Dwight has done an excellent job in keeping the journal uh, going and making sure it's, it's a quality publication. Uh, we're hoping Dwight will stay on for as long as he can with us. Okay. Uh, of course, uh, you know, Dwight is uh, thinking about retirement, and he has some health issues that he's dealing with. Um, but you know, regardless of who the editor is, uh, either now or in the future, we're always going to make sure that uh, the MUFON Journal is a quality publication. Um, and uh, making sure that it meets the needs of not only our members but the general public. Yeah. Um, now, can you talk a little bit about the MUFON Journal? Because, uh, like, some people who are listening are members of MUFON, and they probably have never read it or anything. Maybe you can talk about it and give them an idea of what it is. Sure. Well, the journal itself is a sort of our communications vehicle each month for uh, letting folks know what's happening with the organization, but also really to know what's happening in ufology. So we, we, we do put a lot of sighting information that's in there. But we also uh, we'll put uh, uh, investigations, ongoing investigations that we're conducting, uh, some major events that have happened. Uh, we have a number of, uh, of, of uh, folks that will contribute uh, monthly to the journal, like Stanton Freedom. So a lot of the leading ufologists will, will go ahead and, and write articles uh, that are published on a monthly basis. So it is really an excellent uh, information base that, you know, we take great pains to make sure the information is accurate and relevant. Uh, there's a lot of information out there on the Internet right now, and, you know, it's, it's relevancy or its reliability is questionable. So we, we hope, we're hoping that uh, we sort of make up for those yeah. pitfalls. And, um, like, one of the things that a lot of people in ufology say that ufology needs more of is uh, peer review. Does the MUFON, is the MUFON Journal sort of uh, an outlet for that kind of peer review, do you think? No, actually it's not. Um, if if you really want to look at a, a peer-reviewed journal, that's more along the lines of what the Center for UFO Studies does with their uh, with their journal. Um, 
we're more of our journal is more uh, for information for the members as, as well as for the general public on what's happening now. Um, in terms of if we do, if we get our research teams or when we get our research teams off the ground here and we produce some scholarly articles, uh, we may be looking for uh, another journal to publish that in or even uh, just publish those to the CUFOS uh, journal. Okay. All right. Uh, how many, how long has the Move On journal been going on for uh, since its inception? Since its inception. Uh, back in the early days, it wasn't called the MUFON Journal, it's called Skywalk, but it's the continuation of that publication. And are there any plans to uh, compile these in any sort of collection, like a book or uh, an anthology or anything, for people like me who are, like, I'm only 27, I, I can't, it's hard for me to get my hands on a 73 edition of uh, the MUFON Journal, but I'd like to check it out. Sure. We actually, we, we've uh, taken all of our MUFON Journals and uh, scanned them, and they're on CD, so you can actually purchase the entire collection. Oh, okay. Uh, as well as our symposium proceedings. So everything's available electronically now. Awesome, awesome. Now, you, you touched on it already here, the MUFON Symposium. Let's talk about that because that is, if it's not the biggest UFO conference um, going right now, it certainly is probably the most well-known and it's had a rich history. This upcoming one next summer is going to be the 38th annual, I see. Talk about the MUFON Symposium. Well, we've already picked a theme for the symposium. The, uh, the theme is uh, the estimate of the situation, the extraterrestrial hypothesis. And it ties in with that workshop that I mentioned earlier. Uh, so what we're looking for uh, to do in 2007 is uh, to have a number of uh, folks um, uh, come and speak to the, uh, this original theory about what UFOs are. Uh, and we'll obviously, we're also going to be releasing the, the uh, findings from our workshop. Um, it's, the symposium itself is really an excellent way for, for people to get together and not only hear the latest theories or hear the latest information, but also simply to network with their peers. I think a lot of folks come mostly for networking yeah. uh, because there are a number of different um, uh, conferences out there where the same speakers make the rounds. And, you know, so a lot of folks may attend those instead. What we're trying to do is make the um, upcoming symposiums uh, a little more unique in terms of the message that's going to be offered, not the same old stuff, but, uh, you know, new findings, new information, stuff that's never been released before uh, so that folks have an incentive to come. Awesome, awesome. And who um, who's in charge of uh, putting together the conferences? Do you have to take the helm of that, or is that also... Uh, um Someone else also in charge of that. Well, it's it, it, well. I can tell you what happened. What we did in the past, and how we're going to change it in the future. Awesome. Uh, in the past, it was a a collaborative effort between Mufon headquarters and then the state that would sponsor the symposium for that year. So the symposium tended to move from state to state, and a lot of folks like that because they could go to something that was regional or local to them. Uh, we've since centralized the symposium over the last three years in Denver. Um, and we're going to have the next symposium in Denver also, but we are thinking about uh, sort of having a rotation of the symposium in, uh, let's say, uh, among four different states into the future, um, and then we will be collaborating with those states um, uh, to put the MUFON symposium on. So for the past three years, it's been a, a really a collaboration between uh, MUFON headquarters and uh, the Colorado State um, MUFON members. One of the big topics that I've talked about a lot with people and, and seems to be my pet peeve lately with uh, UFO conferences is that they're just, with the exception of the X conference and uh, a few other ones, there really is a dearth of uh, East Coast UFO conferences. Are we gonna? Is there a chance we're going to see a MUFON symposium on the East Coast or some form of an East Coast MUFON conference um, for the people who are in the in the Northeast, like New York and the Pennsylvania area and Boston, where I am, that it's really expensive to fly out to, to uh, all the way across the country for a UFO conference. Sure. Well, we, we have thought about having um, uh, more than one symposium a year, that, but we haven't really uh, finalized any details on that. But like I said before, what we'd really like to do is go to this rotational um, symposium where we do it based on geographical area. So uh, one year it's held on the East Coast, another year it's held on the West Coast, yeah. and then and another year within the, the heartland. So, you know, that way folks can go to something a little more local and not have to spend so much money. Definitely, definitely. Well, hopefully uh, I can throw that out there and maybe it'll end up in the next time you guys are talking about it because definitely we need more East Coast UFO conferences. We're, we're dying out here. Sure, I understand. Um, 
we talked about a lot of things that, that you have on the agenda here, this upcoming the workshop next year and, and uh, hopefully this college thing and the new PR uh, initiatives that you sort of want to get going for MoveBomb. What's what else do you have on the burner here? What's next for for you and for MoveOn? Obviously, you just took over the job recently, so you're sort of settling in now. Um, but what 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 can we see on the horizon for James Carryon and for MoveOn? Well, I think the next step for us really is uh, is to get our research teams off the ground. We have five uh, key projects that we'd like to start, uh, and we're looking for funding for that. Uh, the, and I can tell you what they are. We have a history project where we want to answer some questions about uh, where are UFOs from, who are they, why are they here, how long have they been coming, and so on. Mm-hmm. And we have a travel project. Uh, how do they get here from there, wherever there is? Yeah. Uh, energy project, where do they get their energy for travel? Uh, we have an abduction project. We want to know, are they abducting humans, and if and so, why? We have actually a, a good amount of data already. We've collected on the abduction phenomena. Um, in fact, we have a, a research project that was done over a three-year period called the AMP project, the Ambient Monitoring Project, where we uh, basically created this device that would that would uh, monitor um, uh, the environment, uh, temperature changes, uh, energy changes, and so on. We put them in, in uh, abductee homes, and what they would do is if they had an experience, they would journal about it, and then we want to correlate the uh, experience time with changes in, uh, that were recorded on these devices. So we've collected this data over a three-year period. Now we just need to crunch the numbers and, and, and publish our results, but we need uh, funding for the statistical analysis that will be done on that. Uh, we also had a project that was done a number of years ago called the Abduction Transcription Project, where we went out and um, uh, got the uh, major abduction researchers who, who did hypnosis sessions to contribute their session tapes to us, and then we transcribe them, omitting the wit- the witness names. Uh, so we have a, a huge database of information about uh, what people have reported as during their abduction experiences, and we'd like to start uh, crunching the, the, the data on that. Um, we have a communication project, uh, which is how do they communicate with each other and with us. So it's, it's a lot of research. You know, it's, it's time to start taking all this data that's been accumulated and, and really uh, take a serious, uh, in-depth look at it and do what we call data mining and try to extract some important nuggets of information out of it. That's awesome. That's not, those sound like all uh, very exciting projects. Um, the abduction thing kind of sprung up in the 80s, really, or the seven, late 70s or whatever. Was there much internal debate in MUFON about whether or not to touch the abduction thing? Because it sound, cause abduction sort of is a, a fringe subject of ufology, and I can see how maybe some of the old-school UFO guys would have been like, we're not doing this, and then maybe they, the new guys won out or something. Was there much discussion on whether or not to touch abductions? Oh, absolutely. Um, if you, I was looking back through uh, some of the uh, old symposium proceedings, and uh, and yeah, there was definitely that old school, new school thought. And it's not only with abductions; it goes way back to when uh, UFOs were first being seen. Uh, the old school thought was these are physical craft and they're probably under intelligent control but remotely controlled. So when folks started seeing occupants and entities, the old school, the old school folks says, no, that's, that can't be possible. So it's always, there's always this, uh, this argument between what we think is the, the, uh, spectrum of the phenomenon when the spectrum wants to open up a little more. Uh, wider, uh, you know, the old folks say now that we can't do that. So we're hoping to have more of an open mind as as the uh, on all the phenomena, no matter what it is. That's why we're, we one thing we're going to be doing is adding more um, uh, information to our investigations manual and to our investigative website on cattle mutilations and crop circles, stuff that folks have thought, well, it may be UFO related, it may be not, but they've sort of ignored it. We don't want to ignore any of the data. Yeah. Is there any sort of uh, like old school versus new school debate going on inside MUFON right now about anything that, that, you know, I think you kind of touched on it there with the cattle mutilation and the crop circle thing, that in a few years we'll see more more uh, from MUFON and we'll be like, oh, maybe they must have been debating that a few years ago, whether or not to, to look at Well, I at think, this. yeah, the debates have gone on, but I don't think there's a debate any longer. Right now it's, uh, let's just let's just do it. Nice. Let's do the research. Nice. Sounds good. Um Tell people uh, how to join MoveOn and, and sort of like give your final pitch here on, on why they should join MoveOn. Sure. 
Uh, well, if if, uh, if you want to solve this mystery, uh, the only way to solve the mystery is to and investigate sightings and to gather the data and to research the data. That's what MUFON does. Uh, we, we could really use your help if you have any inclination at all to be an investigator uh, or if you just want to join as a member. Uh, and you can do so through our website at uh, www.mufon.com. Um, you can also just call us at uh, 970-221-1836 and uh, sign up over the phone. Um, Right now, MUFON is a membership-based organization, and that's what really keeps our doors open. So we, we do need members, and, and we uh, would like to uh, have more members uh, that would not only just generally support us, but also become more involved in investigations. We're getting a number of new sightings each day, and we, we do need the manpower to investigate those. So, um, you know, join us and help us out. And like you said, the website is MUFON.com. The Move On Symposium this year will be in Denver, Colorado, August 10th to the 12th. You can find out more information about that at MoveOn.com. you got plenty of time. Make plans now to get out to Denver for the Move On Symposium this summer. I'm sure it's going to be awesome. Sounds like it's going to be fascinating. James Carrion, congratulations on the new post. I'm looking forward to seeing uh, what you're going to do in the future. And it sounds like you have a lot of very interesting and inspired initiatives up ahead. And I look forward to talking to you again in the future in the year or so to find out uh, where we stand on some of these projects. Sounds great, Tim. Thanks for having me on the show. That does it for this week's edition of Been All of America Audio. Big thanks to James Carrion for coming on the show. Looking forward to seeing where some of these big plans for MUFON go in the future. You can find out more information on MUFON and James Carrion at www.mufon.com. Moving along now, it's time for Banal of America Audio listener feedback. And this week's letter comes to us from Dennis, with no hometown listed. So, Dennis from Parts Unknown. Here's what he had to say. Dear Tim, your show rocks. Keep up the great work. Listening to the Serpo story made me think of a guest for your show, and it's one who fits so snugly into the esoteric header, Andy Lloyd. Since you seem so hip to everything out there, you probably know who he is. But if not, I think he is the best Planet X slash Nibiru researcher out there, and his website, and now book, Dark Star Theory, is top-notch. Now that I think of it, since I'm personally so interested in the whole disinfo thing, maybe Bruce Rocks is not a bad idea either. I don't know anything about him except that his book Hollywood vs. the Aliens, regarding the CIA's participation in UFO disinformation, was really good. Guess that's it for now. Thanks, Dennis. Well, thank you, Dennis, for writing in. Great guest suggestions, and you picked the perfect time to send me a guest suggestion. Because right now we're rounding up guests for 2007. I am looking at a stack of books here on my desk, and each one of the authors is ready to go and ready to rock and roll on the show. And I will definitely take a look at Bruce Rucks for sure. I'm very interested in that book, Hollywood vs. the Aliens. Sounds fascinating. You're not the first person to suggest Andy Lloyd for the program, so I'll definitely be looking into Andy Lloyd as the new year starts, and hopefully I can catch up to speed on his work, and we can bring him on Banal of America Audio and discuss Dark Star Theory. Definitely Andy Lloyd and Bruce Rucks are potential future guests for Banal of America Audio. I will put them at the top of the list, Dennis. Thank you for your suggestions, and thanks for writing in. If you would like to be a part of Banal of America Audio listener feedback, you can simply write to boaaudio at hotmail.com or click the contact button in the top right-hand corner of the screen at banalofamerica.com. That will get your letter in the mailbag here at Banal of America Audio. Wrapping it all up, big thanks to Leslie, Chiron, R. Lee, Joe V., and Ralph Molesworth of banalofamerica.com for your help and support with the audio series and the website. 2006 has been a great year for BanalofAmerica.com, and much of our success would not be possible without the help of the BanalofAmerica.com staff. BanalofAmerica.com, make it a part of your everyday search for esoteric news and opinion. If you're a long-time Banal of America audio listener, an appreciative newcomer, or you just wish you hadn't missed out on Christmas time donations, you can help support the audio series by clicking the PayPal button at banalofamerica.com and making a donation to help support BOA Audio. Next week on Banal of America Audio, well, there will be no Banal of America Audio next week. Folks, for those of you who are longtime listeners of the program, you know that last year, at the conclusion of our Stan Friedman Christmas special, we took a little hiatus, three weeks off, to recharge our batteries and 
cultivate the second half of the season's interviews. We're going to do the same thing this year. You won't be hearing from me again until January 27, 2007, four weeks from today, when we will kick off the second half of Manal of America Audio Season 2. As I alluded to earlier, I have a stack of books here on the desk. Some of them I've already read, some of them are half done, some of them I haven't even cracked open yet. So we will be taping a ton of interviews in the coming weeks that you'll be hearing beginning January 27th, 2007. In the meantime, in the downtime between now and then, definitely stick around at benallofamerica.com for daily updates of news, opinion, and satire. I've got a few surprises up my sleeve for the month of January as we build to the return of Banal of America Audio Season 2. Thank you very much for listening, folks. It's been a great first half of Season 2. It has been an awesome 2006. If it wasn't for the support and readership and listenership of the great BanalofAmerica.com audience, this whole operation would cease to be. Thank you very much for your help and support. Have a very safe and happy new year. I'll be back January 27th, 2007. Until then, this is Tim Banal, signing off.